Welcome to the Flyover Ministry Podcast, a practical youth ministry podcast for small church leaders by small church leaders. We are grateful that you have joined us for our journey through ministry-related topics that we hope help equip and encourage you as you serve Jesus wherever you are. And welcome to the podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Jordan. And this is Flyover Ministry. Happy September. We're starting a new series here. And Jordan, as we start off, I have a question for you. Yes, sir. Have you ever heard of a little group called the Mormons? I have not heard of a little group called the Mormons, but I have, have heard you... of the big group called the Mormons. I wasn't the familiar with group. the little group. The little Mormons? The little Mormons, yeah. It sounds like a kid show on CBS. <laughs> That's that's also not exactly entirely true because I I am familiar with one of the offshoots that technically would be small but not Which too group familiar. is that? Um well we can we'll get into that. Okay, cuz I I'm trying to remember that. I'm trying to think of like if I've heard of this group or not and maybe I have but we're going to be talking a little bit about uh Mormonism today and through this month and there's a pretty good reason for that. We recognize that as we're in smaller communities that uh, a lot of groups and offshoots and uh, alleged groups that would call themselves Christians uh, are often in our communities as well. And for a lot of our people in our communities, they would see that they uh, this group identifies themselves as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And as they do so, we as followers of Jesus would note some pretty significant differences so we want this month to be kind of a, a guide or just a, a stepping stone to help you have some resources to know how to have conversations with them, how to talk about uh, groups like not just the Mormons, but even Jehovah's Witnesses. We may get into that group uh, maybe next month too, but uh, we want to be able to cover here's how it starts, here's what they believe, here's where we're coming from as the people of God, and then you know how do we have conversations, not just with groups like the Mormons, but with the people who don't necessarily know what uh, they believe and even what we believe. So Jordan, we're going to kick this off. I've got to give you credit here before we start. You did a, a bulk of this outline, and by outline, I'm just looking at paragraphs here. We're going to try to keep this conversational, but it's hard to outline a group uh, that's as kind of complex as Mormonism in a in a condensed setting to try and yeah. keep this under 20 minutes and i still think you did a tremendous job so kudos to you there pal well i appreciate that i to to be honest i did not time this so it could well be more than 20 minutes of content but um a little bit of background too i, I think uh, like dan said we might be looking at doing some other things here too with this kind of cult in the community or cult in the community concept uh so we'd really appreciate if you find this helpful or not but one of the things that got me thinking about it was I had someone reach out to me um, talking about some students that were in their confirmation class who had been participating in the local Mormon youth group and were talking about being baptized um, at the Mormon church. And so this individual was just kind of asking, like, what should we do? And, um, you know, that got me thinking, you know, this person had the good enough sense to recognize there's this is not a good thing. Uh, but because Mormons are so keen and insistent 
on saying that we are Christians, um, knowing how we sometimes we struggle with biblical literacy or even getting beyond the veil of some of the surface language that's used, uh, I thought this might have been helpful for us. So that's kind of mm-hmm. some of the why of why we're talking about this today. And as we get started, you know, this first episode, we're really going to be focusing on just kind of how did Mormonism come about? What were its origins? And, you know, that's an important thing for us to recognize because we look as Christians back to our founding. We look, obviously, the ch- church, in the term Christian, going back to Jesus Christ, and, and we recognize that. But our history goes back to Judaism and back to pre-Judaism, where you're looking at the formation of Israel with the call of Abram um, and going back all the way to the beginning of creation. Um, so history is really important and with that, we're going to kick off with a little bit of how did the Church of Latter-day Saints come about? So when did this really start, Dan? Yeah, we're going to jump back into the Wayback Machine and take you back to a date in 1805. And I don't know, Jordan, how plug do you like history? I do like history. I like how dots connect. And I want to interject one more thing that I failed to do beforehand. This yeah, information that we're building this off of came from particularly one book called The Kingdom of the Cults by... Mm-hmm. By Walter Martin. And Ravi Zacharias does a, uh, is the general editor here. And I say that because I have it on my desk. Jordan, do you have this book as well? On and my we desk in my this... office, which is not where I am. but Right. But we, we bought this book here for, from our uh, Bible college for a class... Um, cults and isms was the class i had it taught by pastor lee i don't know who you had yours taught by but i don't recall if i actually had that class i think i might have just got it because i'm a nerd (laughs) but that's okay (laughs) well that's that's i mean that's true but um this is a book that has a lot of great resources and i'd encourage you and i could probably put some links on our social pages uh, for some good YouTube videos for you to take a look at that kind of go into the background and to help you fact check what we're saying here. But um, Jordan, as far as my appreciation from history, I like how crazy and bizarre some of the stories from history gets, like you mm-hmm. said, the connection of dots. And from my understanding, from my observation, any date that starts with the number 18, you're usually in for a pretty wild ride here. It's so like the 1800s are like the Florida man of history. <laughs> <laughs> there's some crazy things that happen that's that's amazing i'm gonna <laughs> steal that the date is december 23rd 1805 and joseph smith jr is born in vermont and he's born to a family of imagined treasure hunters our so-called treasure hunters and they have a practice of uh looking into a hat at seeing stones or seer stones or divining rods and um, i've actually uh, worked with people who were uh, using divining rods when we were digging our well it's pretty interesting all of a sudden the rods will cross and hmm. he said you know if we wanted to really go old school he would, he pulled out his stick and as he's sitting on his walker like the stick pulled down so hard it almost fell he almost fell off of his walker and that's exactly where we dug our well and that's where we got water but anyway, imagine looking into a hat and trying to find treasure in the woods of New England. And I will say that New England is very woody. It's very, uh, remember, this is 1805. There's not exactly a lot of roads. There's a lot of wagon trails, uh, a lot of remote uh, landscapes here. And uh, as you 
take a look at this hat. They would try and find treasure. I don't think they were very successful. And I think at one point that they got in so much trouble that they wound up having to head up to upstate New York, which is also very scenic and very rural, as is most of New England. But uh, Jordan, uh, the dad here, this this man, Joseph Smith Sr., is the guy who becomes one of the eight witnesses uh, to the divinity of the Book of Mormon here, and mm-hmm. he becomes one of the patriarchs of the church here. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, but I'm going to turn it over to you as we pick up here and continue on yeah. with, but remember 1805, Joseph Smith is born. Yeah. And uh, yeah. The history of his dad is important too, because we want to recognize like what Joseph Smith Jr. grew up with. So this was a part of life for him, like this mystic, this connection to uh, almost this magic talisman kind of mentality. Right. Uh, mm. And his dad, there's some evidence that this kind of continued and Joseph Smith um, participated in this himself. But that date of 1805 was his birth date, December 23rd. So that's important because life is as normal as you can think with that kind of family heritage. Um, But things really shifted gears in 1820. And this is when... he's 14 14 years old. 14 years old, 14, 15, yep. And Joseph Smith Jr., uh, from here to forth, just referred to as Joseph Smith, unless we talk to the dad who will be senior... Um, But he apparently receives his vision from God. And in this vision, there's God the Father and there's God the Son. And he's he's out praying in this woods when this vision happens. And these two God figures, they come to him and they're talking and they say, Hey, look, Christianity, it's not in a good place. We don't like it. And we're choosing you to restore true Christianity to the world. So 15 years old, 14, 15 years old, and he's getting like this mission then apparently from God the Father and God the Son to say, you need to restart Christianity, which we might think of like Reformation at this point, right? Um, We have a history of Reformation in the church, um, but we'll quickly see that this kind of takes a really hard right at this point. So 1820... Into into crazy town. A little bit, yeah. So 1820, he's 14. That's when the vision happens. A few years later then, Joseph Smith is in bed, laying down, which is an often common thing to be doing in bed, but he has another vision. (laughs) This time it's not God the Father or God the Son. This is an angel by the name of Moroni or Moroni. I read these things, so I might pronounce it differently, but Moroni. Moroni was the, as I was watching YouTube, it was Moroni widely pronounced that way. So he's 18 laying in bed and he is visited by this angel Moroni telling him where to find uh, the Book of Mormon, and or these tablets, uh, these gold tablets out in the woods. And he, it's important here to recognize that in the events of all of this, Joseph Smith is not consistent as he recounts this story over time, which raises, right, if, if when you're talking about the foundation of a religion, uh, this is a huge red flag. This is a, an issue. If you're not consistent with your origins, this is a huge question on if he's actually telling the, the truth or not, because you would expect somebody who's kind of shooting from the hip or making things up to have, you know, to be inconsistent. So either way here, uh, Moroni, and you have this uh, Nephi. I didn't hear this. I think it's Nephi. Nephi. That's probably true. So uh, Moroni commissions Joseph to go look for these two tablets, and a couple of tablets, and Joseph Smith finds them, in, uh, and these plates are going to be translated into what is called the Book of Mormon, but I say translated because they're not written in English, they're not written in French, 
which would be probably pretty common in New England. It's not translated in any normal Western European language. It's tra trans uh, it's written in reformed Egyptian hieroglyphics, which I suppose this is the 1800s equivalent of wingdings. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a convenient language because um, there are some people, I, if I'm remembering correctly, which we're saying like there is no such thing as reformed egyptian hieroglyphics yeah. you know but it, the, the main point is that this was revealed to him on these plates in a language that nobody understood and um so we might think well how did he get from this plates these things that uh didn't make any sense how did he translate that well there's two different things that i came across as i was looking this up one in his early claim was that as he took these these plates that were um, uncovered in a hill in Kumora near um, Palmyra, New York. Then he, he begins translating them with this Urim and Thummim, which he got from Moroni, which yeah. if can you... I, can I interject here too? Yeah. Like he doesn't, he doesn't translate them right away. Like he spends multiple years, like four years at this location with Moroni, like Moroni, like once a year, he goes out there and is kind of had this coaching session with this angel that he sees saying this is what these plates mean this is how you translate it and then four years after he's shown where these plates are he comes back and is able to then tra start this translation which is just a little weird like if the angel shows you hey here's where these plates are right why wouldn't you be able to take them in the first place and you know i this is just us here speculating on this recognizing that neither of us are mormons but um just we're not trying to diffuse or negate or disprove Mormonism in this episode. We're just trying to talk about the origins. So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm trying to avoid that as best I can <laughs> in all okay. of these. But there's I, we're in a we're in a, a field of red flags here. So right, <laughs> keep so going. like anytime someone receives a special message that only they can rightly translate and nobody can translate because they don't have the proper tools themselves. Um, that that should you know, really caution us against manipulation. But anyway, so he's given these two things, the Urim and the Thummim, which if you know your Old Testament history, these are biblical concepts that would have been contained in like the ephod of a high priest and that was used in the Old Testament for uh, discernment purposes, like kind of casting lots. It was I think some of the comments that I read were something kind of like possibly two different colored stones. And if you pick one out, you know, one is yes, one is no, something along those lines. Um, but that's mm. apparently what he's given to translate. Later accounts will talk about him but being hidden behind a curtain, giving like these special glasses, these special lenses that don't fit a human head. But if you look through the lens, then you can see it clearly. And so he's writing that way too. So again, we get to discrepancies um, with the origin story and stuff like this. But he's got the tablets then. He is doing this quote-unquote translation work. And um, this translation work then takes about two years. And then he and his friend, a guy by the name of Oliver, are visited in person by John the Baptist, who mm. apparently got his head back on um, in this vision. Uh, and, and so what John the Baptist then does is he comes to these guys and he confers onto them that they are members of this Aaronic priesthood. And... So this pre concept of priesthood becomes really huge. We'll get into that maybe next week a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, and so then the 
work is completed, the translation, it's copyrighted 1830. And then Joseph and his brothers and some of his friends, they start this new society called the Church, which or the Church of Christ, which later becomes known as the Church of the Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. So that's really the the core foundation of the church itself. And from that time then, there's now the um, spreading of this church. They get a couple of guys that are really good at talking and smooth, like oil salesman kind of guys. And they get out there and they start um, spreading the message, right? Did, did they have a podcast? I, they might have. They might have claimed it at this point. Mm. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but yeah. So they're out there. The angel sent them out to find uh, a computer with some high quality microphones. (laughs) Well, time is interesting back in in this origin story, too. So, and then, so as this is going on, 1831 to 1834, Smith then claims to have received over 135 direct revelations from God. So, God is directly then giving him these teachings, things unlike polygamy, right? how they're supposed to be able to have more than one wife, that there's this holy ground in Missouri that they need to build this temple on, um, and several under other issues. And troubles are, are following him because people are, are, you know, some people know the Smith family, and they're not too welcome there. So then they end up moving to find, like, this fresh start where they don't have that history. Um, mm-hmm. And they actually find some some people who buy into this then. But at the same time, communities around them are recognizing like this is not a legit or cool thing and so they they start getting persecuted um and that leads then to especially things like polygamy and and what people in the communities are like this is wrong stuff so joseph and his brother they get arrested and while they're in jail in carthage um on june 27th 1844 a bunch of a group of People come, they storm the jail, and they end up killing him and his brother, which turns Joseph then into a martyr of the faith. Mm-hmm. So then the head of second in command, this guy named Brigham Young, assumed vacant leadership, and he decides to head west because it's 1844, and that's what you do in America. You head west. And instead of going to the Willamette Valley in Oregon, he goes to the Great Salt Basin, and he finds a place with this Great Salt Lake in Utah, and he says, you know what? Why not? This is the place. And you know, just <laughs> historically speaking, it's interesting to see. Stephen Ambrose had this book about the Transcontinental Railroad and just the role that the Mormons played in mm-hmm. connecting even Salt Lake City to that railroad is just kind of interesting. Like they recruited all of these workers out there because they had been living in that area for quite a long time. And it was just interesting to see, like there's a lot of people that are believing this, this this subtle message from a guy who found these plates in the woods. And (laughs) it's just, have you been to Salt Lake City? Have you been to the Northern part of Utah? I have not been in Utah. You've been to, to Nebraska, right? I have been. So to imagine, imagine Nebraska, but with no grass or corn or anything. I mean, you're talking about desolate. It's it's not exactly a beautiful place. I mean, I'm sure it appeals to some people, but it's just this weird place to set up. You'd think you'd find something with like 
more fresh water or a place to actually grow crops or get food or something like that. But Mormonism here presents an alternative history that's apparently missing from scriptural uh, accounts of the Bible. Um, the Book of Mormon presents a history of two ancient civilizations that were both on the American continents. One civilization, right, uh, the Jaredites, is that how you say that? The Jaredites, they leave the Tower of uh, Babel and they head to the Western Hemisphere and they set up shop probably over the, the Bering Strait, right? They were destroyed for their apostasy and completely wiped out. The second group leaves Jerusalem about 600 BC, crosses the Pacific Ocean, and lands on the western coast of South America. This group uh, starts off righteously and ended up dividing into two warring groups. This is the, the Nephites and the Lamanites. The Lamanites are understood to be what we know as the Native Americans. And they're cursed because of their wickedness, and the curse took the form of darker skin for them. Now, what? we live... We we live Hold in a, a culture of, of of racial sensitivity, so I just want to like point out like another red flag. If you're <laughs> if some people are just weirded out by that, yeah, your punishment is darker skin. Forget yeah. about uh, <laughs> melanin or anything like that. Forget about basic genetics. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, that's that's good observations, and I mean like so I think we have to remember too, the whole premise of this is that this is the true Christianity. And so I think the general concept is if you look at scripture, it says on the witness of two or three witnesses, right? And so they mm. would present this, this alternative history of Christ at work in the Americas as that um, additional testimony. So they see this, the book of Mormon as giving credence to scripture, despite the conflicts that we have because of this. So, um, we, we see in their history as it continues um, with the Nephites then in continental America, Jesus then visits the righteous ones. And so he's giving them the gospel. He institutes right, this both. Is, this is a post-resurrection visit, right? So right. when the gospel writers don't record, like when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John don't record where Jesus is when he isn't with the disciples, he might be in North America. You don't know. You know, so, so it's... <laughs> yes, there's. It, he could be in Iceland. It's kind Why of like not? the people who try to make Sherlock Holmes mysteries official ones in America during the gaps in the Conan Doyle catalog. So mm. it's a thing. But um, so, anyways, Jesus comes and institutes baptism and communion, and they're called the sacraments. But the Nephites then are wiped out in 421 A.D. by the Lamanites. So the Lamanites were the bad guys, right? And so this is disputed between the different branches of Mormonism, which I think is helpful to recognize too. Like we're trying to do one huge summary, but it would be kind of like doing an overview of church history from a Lutheran, a Baptist, and a Catholic, and a Roman Orthodox perspective. Like, because there <laughs> and is... here's the Pentecostals. <laughs> we we want to recognize that there are variations to, like it's not just one thing, it, which is interesting because they will talk about like, being the one true church. Um, so there are different groups and, and some of it comes down to their prophets and stuff like that too. So mm -hmm. we have these, um, this reality then being wiped out. And the traditional view though, is that this loss happens then about the same hill where Joseph finds the golden plates. So there's that connection traditionally of the righteous ones get wiped out. And then Joseph gets to rediscover the truth of the history of the Americas. 
So we, we've been talking about red flags um, a lot during this. And uh, I think it's going to be helpful for us to just note a couple of things based off of this history. Uh, Dan, you mentioned too that there were things like um, discrepancies of, of dates and, and things that we want to be aware of. But there's also mm -hmm. other things that we can point to, right? So a lot of the history that they record as happening in the Americas, uh, they make references to like metallurgy, animals that never existed in our continent before this time. Um, all these claims that they'd have about these people groups have not been supported by archaeological finds. Not one thing has been found that they would claim, which mm -hmm. if we look at scripture and, and archaeology just keeps on reaffirming and, and pointing to, yes, this happened. I, I just think of like one thing that was discovered last year. And I don't remember if we talked about that, but the curse tablet, um, it was like this little piece of lead uh, that had curses on it that was written in like this ancient Hebrew kind of thing before people thought that Hebrew was written and it had like these names for gods before people thought that uh, Elohim and Adonai or whatever were still around or were being referred to. And, and it dates back to like the time of Joshua um, mm. and the conquest. And it was on Mount Ebal, which is historically significant, where Joshua was making this, this covenant with the people. Um, so we look at that and say, History, archaeology affirms biblical history to, to the point where things that were claimed in the Bible, archaeologists and historians were like, this never existed. And then they find it and like, oh, wait, actually it did. Right. Right. Um, and and so it's important to say affirm there and not prove like right. our faith is not dependent on what people dig out of the ground. But to have archaeology come and say, uh, like I think about the group of the Hittites. Um, you know, Bible recorded this group called the Hittites that lived up on the northern side of the Mediterranean Sea. And all these people never believed that Hittites actually existed. And then all of a sudden they did some digging, archaeologically speaking, they found evidence for the Hittites. That's exactly where the Bible said it was going to be. Um, and it's just, again, affirming this is what the Bible did say. This is what we believe. And uh, it's... It's the consistency, you know, if you're using, I don't want to say necessarily if you're using common sense, but if you're, if you're just thinking this through critically, and if you're going to place all of your hope, all of your faith, and if this is a place that you're going to go and worship at some, uh, something like this, you know, um, when people are coming to faith in Jesus, and when they're putting their faith in the Bible, and we show them the Bible, and we start reading it and say, this is what we believe, right? There's, there's a lot of their own nature. There's a lot of information that the world has given them that they have to try and overcome. And as they do that, as they think through things critically, um, you know, eventually we can explain things using the Bible. Uh, Mormonism, it seems like the inconsistencies here keeps that from happening. That's a huge hurdle that they have to deal with. So it's, I think, important to know that as we start looking at this and prepare for next week, where we talk about the basic beliefs, not just the foundings, but here's what they believe, that we're, we're just trying to take this at a summary level as objectively as we can and, and to view this, again, just to be a resource for you to help you see this is what people believe, this is where they started, and here's how you can interact with them going forward. So, Jordan, do you have any other things that you would like to say as we land the plane on this episode? I think you did a good intro for what next week's going to be. So with that, we'll just send you off for today and maybe this inspires you to even do a little bit more digging on the history and origins of 
the Latter-day Saints yourself too. And if you catch us on something that we were wrong, let us know. We want this to be accurate too. And for the sake of all of our listeners as well. Um, but yeah, so we hope that you uh, will turn to next week as we start covering some of the basic beliefs and theology of the Latter-day Saints. And uh, until then, we pray that you would be grounded in the word and be strong in your conviction of that word and go in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening to Flyover Ministry. You can find, follow, and give feedback on our Instagram and Facebook pages at Flyover Ministry. You can also get in contact with us on our Gmail account, flyoverministrypodcast at gmail.com. You can find other episodes that we've recorded on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, and please feel free to share them with a friend. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.